Welcome back to the Football Fitness Federation podcast. This is episode 151. This episode is with Head of Fitness and Conditioning at Bristol City, Patrick Orme. Patrick came on to discuss his experience of pre-season over the last few years and how this year has differed to others. We also spoke about planning the new facility at Bristol as well and some considerations during the planning process, but also some changes that have been made since moving in. And then we talked about the match day and it's something that we've not spoke to uh, spoke about too much before on the podcast, but how Patrick's role and many other uh, practitioners' roles um, work on match day and what the responsibilities are and maybe some of his experiences as well of where he should be focusing his energy and time on a match day to obviously put the players in the right place physically and mentally to perform on the day. So really interesting this one. I think we've covered a few different areas that we haven't spoke about too much before on other podcasts in terms of the new facility and and the match day. So it was great for Patrick to come on and give up his time. And just before we dive into this episode, I just want to say a massive thank you to everybody that came out to our first event of 2021 at Rotherham United. Um, It was a great evening, some really good discussions going on. It was great to see so many clubs represented at the meeting as well. And a special thank you to Ross Burberry and Tom Scoopin for presenting for us because the presentations were absolutely first class. Those presentations are now available to watch back on our community. So if you're not a member of the community, you can go and grab yourself a free month by going to footballfitfed.com and clicking the community tub and, uh, community tab and signing up there. Um, so yeah, thank you to everyone that came out to that event. And I'm delighted to say we have got our Preston event, which as this podcast goes out, it is next week on the 31st of August. But we have just confirmed a brand new event. Anyone in the Wales area, especially South Wales um, or down south, this one could be for you. University of South Wales Sport Park on Wednesday, the 22nd of September, This is set to be a really, really good event because the speakers we've got to speak are Cardiff City first team strength conditioning coach, Mike Beer. We've also got Patrick from this episode, so head of fitness and conditioning at Bristol City, Patrick Orme, and also Reese Carr. So anyone that knows about Reese, Reese has been at Cardiff City, most recently been at Sheffield United, someone with a, a wealth of knowledge and experience and also the uh, creator and founder of Soccer Science Conference as well. So this is set to be a brilliant event. Um, Tickets are going to be available at footballfitfed.com. Click the shop tab and they'll be available there. But I hope to see as many of the listeners there as possible. Wednesday, the 22nd of September, it's going to be 6 till 9 p.m. at the University of South Wales Sport Park. And I know that Everything, I've not actually been down there, but everyone I've spoke to about the facility said it's unbelievable. So I'm really looking forward to the evening, but also to go and visit the facility as well. So hope to see as many of you guys there as possible. And we'll dive into episode 151 with Patrick Ohm. Welcome back to the Football Fitness Federation podcast. This is episode 151. I'm delighted to be joined today by Head of Fitness and Conditioning at Bristol City, Patrick Orme. Patrick, how are you doing? Hi, mate. You okay? Yeah, all good. 
All good, mate. And I know you you're away in a hotel at the moment, so we're hoping the signal's gonna um gonna stay strong. But cheers yeah. for coming on. I appreciate you yeah, giving up your time. Um, I know you're picking coming on the podcast over catching up with a bit of extra kip, so I appreciate that. Um, but do you want to start us off, mate? Head of fitness and condition at Brist um at Bristol at the moment. But do you want to just take us through your journey, your career so far that's led you up to that point? Yeah, yeah. So um, I um, started at uh, John Moores University in Liverpool. So did my undergrad degree in sports science there. Um, probably quite lucky, really, that I had a, a really good university for sports science, sort of on on the doorstep, really. Because um, I didn't at that time, I didn't know what I wanted to do. Um, sort of come out of college, um, got my A levels, and yeah, just sort of went for it to go to go and do do the course there. Um but yeah with a little bit of an open mind of where it was going to take me. Um so yeah I did did the undergrad there during the sort of third, second and third years. Um there was like sort of like the, the general sort of placements that you get involved with undergrad degrees. So I did a little placement at Blackburn uh, Blackburn Rose Academy and um another one at Macclesfield Town with their first team when they were back when they were sort of in, in League Two. Um, so that sort of pushed me into the idea that I'd want to work in football. Um, so, yeah, from there, wanted to stay on, did a Masters at John Moores as well. So that was in sports physiology. And I uh, was quite lucky that alongside that, I did a year-long internship at Everton. So, um, yeah, that, w- that was really good. And obviously, gave me a good opportunity to be in like a sort of, elite environment if you like for the first time um so yeah it, it was a really good uh, really good year for me to be able to sort of get a proper idea of where I wanted my career to go um yeah got to the end of that year again sort of didn't know what I was going to do um was a little bit sort of worried if you like I didn't know if I was ready to go and work full-time in a club um and then the opportunity come up to go and work for Liverpool uh, alongside doing my PhD, still at, at John Moore's. So, uh, yeah, obviously, I, as you would, jumped at the opportunity. Um, yeah, working day-to-day at, at probably one of the biggest clubs in the world was an opportunity that you just you can't turn down. And then for me personally, on top of that, the fact that I've followed Liverpool since I was a baby um, meant that it was just that little bit more special for me so yeah being able to do that and being able to sort of collect research from the from the first team players and be able to use that to put together a PhD thesis um, was yeah an amazing opportunity and then after finishing my three years there I hadn't quite finished my PhD at that point but it was time to move on from Liverpool so I ended up coming down to Bristol started off working with the 23s um, and spent a couple of seasons doing that whilst also putting the final touches to the uh, to the PhD thesis. And then sort of it all tied in quite nicely that I finished my PhD and uh, in that summer I transitioned from under-23s up to the first team and that's when I started doing this role and I've been doing that ever since. So, yeah, going into the third season now and, uh, yeah, really enjoying it. So it's been good, been good being down here. Brilliant. And I'll just take you back to what you said at the very start of that when you spoke about your first few experiences. So at Blackburn Academy and then obviously Macclesfield being in the, in the Football League at that time, uh, League Two. What were the initial, because you mentioned that and then you said obviously your intention was then to work in football. So what was the sort of attraction for you um, from getting those experiences, wanting knowing that you want to work in it full time? 
Um, I think sort of prior to that, obviously, I, I played football as a kid, and you know, for me, like growing up, sort of where I'm from, like everything was about football. Like you know, it's like it's your way of life, sort of thing, if you like. And mm. um, yeah, it, it, it was it was an easy decision to sort of want to be around that. But then I think, especially going into to Blackburn, because they've got a, a brilliant setup there, um, probably back from the days where I think it was um, Kenny Dagleish who sort of put the uh, the wheels in motion for the training ground that they've got at the moment. Um, and yeah, it's sort of going in there because of their structure, it sort of showed me a little bit what what jobs there were, there were in football. Because I think prior to that, I didn't really know. I, sort of, I was doing my degree and, you know, you've got an idea of the type of stuff that you're going to do as a sports scientist, but then actually seeing how that was done within a football club and how they were using the sort of tests that, or some of the tests that we were um, learning about as part of the course and how they were sort of applying that. Um, yeah, I think it was seeing that that really, um, you know, sort of pushed me up, pushed me in the, the direction of where I wanted to be. Um, I was quite lucky, like off the back of the, the placement, um, I went and sort of watched their under, it was under 21s at the time, went and watched their under 21s train a couple of times and just watched what um, a lad called Matt Busby was doing um, with the 21s at the time, just seeing what his sort of like daily role was and the things he was doing with the GPS and the heart rate. Um, and yeah, just sort of getting an idea of what what jobs are basically out there. So it, it was really good in that sense to be able to, uh, yeah, just see where where your degree could take you. And then what about the first experiences at um, Macclesfield? Because obviously you're talking, I'm guessing two very different experiences, but at the same time, yeah. two experiences where you probably take a lot from, can't you? Being first team environment, obviously, but football league um, at that time, financial difficulties or just before that point possibly um to be honest I, I i don't i think it was just before but um even then like you sort of see, you could see the the difference in in the two environments i mean you know you go to um go to blackburn's training ground and it's like this own his own little village with a with a, it's like gated off and all the rest of it and then you go to um, Macclesfield's training ground was something that they were using that was a um, like a council building mm-hmm. that was, a, was effectively a leisure centre that with with football pitches at the back that they were using as their training ground and you know the sort of contrast in what they had was was unbelievable. But then, yeah, I think it was one. I'm, I'm sure a lot of people do this where um, I, I basically just sent out a load of emails, a load of letters to people at football clubs just to see if I could come in and, and have a have a look at what they were doing. Um, and I think I sent something like 35 letters out or emails out. And I got one response off um off the assistant manager at, at Macclesfield. And yeah, he basically said, Yeah, you can come in, see what see what you think and help us out if you feel you can, because they didn't have anything in place. So they didn't have yeah. anyone. It was literally the manager, the, assist, the assistant manager, um, a physio and a kit man. And that, mm. that was all they had at the time. So, yeah, it was massively contrasting. And obviously, yeah, just getting a feel for what can be done at that level to try and help when you've got very limited resources was, um, yeah, eye-opening, to say the least. Yeah, yeah. But, and, and just out of interest, do you get many of those type of letters now? So obviously being in your role in the championship, like is this what, because I speak to a lot of people that have done, I've been through that same process, getting clubs addresses, trying to find someone at the club that you can write to. 
like I'll just out of interest, do you do you receive those now? Um, not not as many as I thought I would, mm. be, if I'm honest. Um, I think um, one thing that we don't tend to have in Bristol is that, that it's not sort of the same as like in Liverpool. You've got John Moore's University, and then you've got like the Premier League football clubs. Obviously, because we haven't got a Premier League club, and we haven't got like a sports-specific university right in the city. Yeah. Um. You, you don't. I think it might be because of that. I'm not really sure, but yeah. I mean, you get, you get like a couple every now and again. But um, even I, I know you saw the um the, the studentships that we advertised um in the, in the off season. I know it was quite a short turnaround in terms of advertising through to um the closing date and and getting into to interviews. But we we didn't get as many applications as I thought we would have done, to be honest. And I think, um, yeah, it surprised me a little bit because I thought, for me, when I was a student, that was sort of the the thing that needed to be done to be able to, 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 to like, sort of set the foundations while I was in university to make sure that I would get opportunities when when I did graduate and when I did move on and I was looking for jobs. so yeah, surprisingly, not as many as I thought I would, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, we'll move it on to your role at Bristol now. So you mentioned before, obviously being there three years, um, yeah. so three pre-seasons. Yeah. And yeah. obviously, as we're recording, we're just off, well, just started the season, so off the back of the pre-season period. So I thought it'd be good to start in that period and just talk about some of the potential differences that there have been across those pre-seasons. Um, and also taking us into this year and maybe some things that have been different this year as well. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I know when we spoke the other day, we I sort of mentioned this idea that sometimes you see people talk about when you work in football, it's the same year of experience, year after year after year. But <laughs> definitely the last three years haven't been that because my first year working with the first team was the season that got disrupted by COVID. So straight away, that was like nothing I'd ever seen before. It was, yeah, a really crazy time, um, a bit of a worrying time as well, because obviously mm. there was a period where we didn't really know what was going to happen and whether like jobs were going to be safe and things like that. So, yeah, it was uh, it was very difficult. In terms of pre-season that year, it was probably one of the best pre-seasons we could have had. We were quite lucky. We, um, we went over to the IMG Academy in Florida, um, spent two weeks over there, which was which brilliant. I mean, like the facilities there are, are literally like unbelievable. They're a real top class. Um, the interesting thing about that is that it actually probably affected the week when we come back because um, one thing we weren't fortunate enough to do what some maybe the, the, the Premier League clubs do is we couldn't pay for our own flight over there with the, with the, the amount of cost associated with that. So, you know, travelling back on normal um, sort of, a normal plane um yeah the, the the few days after we got back was a little bit disrupted because of like sort of jet lag and you know when you've been away for, for two weeks like trying to give the lads a little bit of time at, at home with the families as well and not seen for a while so yeah that disrupted that last week a little bit but all in all I think that was a really good pre-season with a, an amazing trip in the middle to uh to get some uh, some good work into the lads then this season after um was that season where basically we come back, we played the remaining six games, had two weeks off, and then we were straight back into pre-season. There was so many limitations around what you could do in terms of the building that you could use. Um, like 
yeah, the groups that you could train in, who could be in contact with who, what type of drills you could do. It was, yeah, it was very, very difficult. And um, I think the interesting thing, the thing that probably learned most from that pre-season was that we sort of made this assumption that um, because we had such a short period of time off in between the last game and starting pre-season back, we sort of thought, well, the lads aren't going to lose fitness that much in that time. And we can maybe not worry too much about the type of work that we're doing in pre-season. I think we probably got that wrong in hindsight, looking back. Um, I think we probably could have done more. We could have pushed on a little bit more and we probably did underestimate how much conditioning they would lose in those, in those couple of weeks that they had off. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, we, we definitely learned a lot from that. And I think that impacted a little bit on this pre-season that we've just finished now, along with, obviously... Food always three pre-scenes. It's it's been with a different manager each time, which has got its challenges as well. Trying to adapt into the way that they want to train and the way they see things, especially like it can be stuff as simple as you know some managers want the fitness work to be purely running without the ball, and it doesn't have to be specific whatsoever. It's just conditioning players. Um, whereas then you've got others who want to include include the ball and everything. So yeah, adapting to that can be a bit of a challenge at times. Um, but yeah, this preseason has been brilliant. Again, it's had little bits of limitations to it in terms of like the last little bits of COVID. I think obviously with the um, with sort of freedom day as it's being called, being stuck right in the middle of preseason, it, it was as if like people felt that there had to be some restrictions before that date yeah. so that it could be different afterwards. So it was a bit yeah. weird. But um, yeah, we obviously didn't didn't leave the country. We stayed in um, stayed in the UK. Went to Loughborough for a week, which interestingly. It doesn't sound as glamorous as going to IMG, but ultimately it was probably just as good because their facilities are at that same sort of level. Um, and yeah, it was like what, an hour and a half, two hours on the bus rather than being a, a 10, 11 hour flight. Um, so yeah, we had, we had a, a brilliant time there. Um, the other thing that we changed a little bit as well was we didn't play. We had a little bit of a longer period before we started playing games. So that just gives us a little bit more control over what we could do in training, not having to worry too much about about the exposure to matches early on, which I think that worked really well. And I think the, la the last thing that I found quite interesting is that, and I think, again, it's probably a little bit of a hangover from the COVID period, is that you know a lot of teams seem to have been playing games at the training ground rather than playing at the stadium, um, which we found, particularly with moving into the new building recently, it was you know, a massive advantage for us because, you know, even when lads weren't playing full games, we could get them, as soon as they were coming off the pitch, they're going straight in and getting themselves into the gym and we're getting a little bit of a, a strength stimulus into them as well, but in a proper environment rather than trying to do it at the side of the pitch where you haven't really got the, the equipment that you need. So, yeah, I think it'll be interesting next season to see what happens with that because, um, yeah, I think, if you speak to a few people, I'd imagine there'll be quite a few who'd actually look back and say they quite liked um, having that opportunity to to play those games at the training ground rather than being at a stadium. Yeah, definitely. It's really interesting, isn't it, that pre-season period? Because like you say, with the restrictions, especially that travel restrictions, it, I suppose it just makes you reassess the reasons for going to these, these places abroad, doesn't it? And and if yeah. you can get that same work over here, obviously you're removing a big chunk of travel time. But then at the same time, being in facilities like that over there and getting the, the weather and all the facilities and the lads 
going away together and all that sort of stuff. It's yeah. a tough one, isn't it? Because I'm guessing there's positives mm. to both sides. Um, but then into the games programme as well. I know Frankie spoke about this on her episode, but it's interesting that behind sort of behind closed doors setup, isn't it, at the training ground? Because like you say, you've got a little bit more control over what you can do with the players after games and things like that as well. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I think um, it's interesting like what you said then about, you know, why do we sort of go away? I think, you know, we're, we're looking back now saying that the Loughborough trip's brilliant, but if the weather hadn't, we had brilliant weather. It was that, it was that one week of good weather that we had in the middle of July. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it, it was brilliant. But if we if we'd have been there and it had been raining every day, I think we might have come back with a little bit of a different review. Yeah. So yeah, I know it seems like it was it was it was a good trip, but yeah, it could have easily uh, been turned on its head. But yeah, I think the what what you're saying about the the games there, yeah, I think the more control you can have over things in preseason, the better, because ultimately we you always get that feeling when. I don't know, it's usually sometime between the start of the last week of pre-season leading into your first game or sometime in the first couple of weeks of the season where you do start to you start to feel that you, you're losing control a little bit because mm. the games are taking over and you, you, there's not as much that you can control. And obviously everyone likes to control the controllable. So once that gets taken away from you a little bit, I think it's, it's a little bit uncomfortable. So when you've got the opportunity to do that in pre-season, it's something that I think we, we should try and make the most of if, if you've got the opportunity to do it. Because there's a lot of other factors that come into it as well, isn't there? So like that control side of things from your, in your role or people that are in similar roles, you do want to control it, but then there's factors with the club maybe having to go to certain places for sponsors yeah. and all the rest of it. There's the manager's, point of views and the way that they work like you mentioned before like different managers work in different ways don't they they might have yeah. gone to places before that they want to go back to um yeah. so there's a lot of other factors isn't it rather than you just sitting down and saying this is what we should do and I suppose that's yeah. where it, it, it comes your skill as a practitioner to find that middle ground isn't it of getting what you want to get from that period and then what everyone else wants to get out of that period as well yeah definitely I think like one of the things we've sort of spoke about a lot uh, recently sort of being like being adaptable um, and, and ultimately like to be to be able to sort of be good at a role within a football club I think as long as you can adapt to stuff you generally speaking you'll be all right if you, if you can't and you're very stringent in the way that you want to be I think you find it quite difficult and, and you know, that, that stuff you've just been talking about there sometimes there are things that are fully out of your control and you do have to find a way to, to adapt to it and, and make sure you can make the best out of whatever situation that you, you sort of handed, really. Yeah, no, 100%. And you mentioned before briefly about the new facility, um, yeah. which I think is, like, I've seen, obviously not been, but I've seen clips, um, videos, little pictures and stuff, and it looks incredible. And I know there's yeah. been a lot of planning going into it um, and changes since it's opened as well. So I think it'd be great to sort of delve into initially the planning and maybe some considerations that you, that you made from your, again, because I know there's a lot of decision makers in the process, but from your yeah. um, viewpoint and your role, some some initial considerations that you maybe put towards um, in the planning process. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, we, we, were, we, we were quite lucky um, 
in the sense that we, we had a, a lad called Sam Morse who was um he sort of took responsibility for the whole planning of the of the building and then saw through the sort of the build process all the way through to uh, to completion. And I say we were lucky because he was actually a member of staff at the at the club. So he was in in the training ground day to day in the in the the older buildings that we had. So he was always around. And I think having that sort of like day-to-day contact with someone where you could be sat at your desk and you could literally just come over and say, Pad, what do you think about this? Or yeah. do you need this or do you need that? Um, allowed that process to be quite, I don't know, smooth the right word, but probably yeah, it just it made it a lot better in terms of um you wouldn't go for months at a time without thinking about the training ground and then all of a sudden someone's got 300 things that you want you to make decisions on and you can't quite process them because then you could talk about like little bits at a time so one of the thing that we had a, a big say over was obviously the, the gym and how we were set up down there and yeah I mean the, the way that he was able to um sort of get like visual like uh, software on his laptop where you could like visually put together what the actual gym would look like and there'd be like it was a bit like a Sims effectively yeah. where like there'd be like little bikes in where the bikes were going to be and there'd be like little racks and it, it, was, it was unbelievable. So we were able to to plan that area quite well. Um, I think we'll come on to a, a, the changes a little bit in a minute where obviously it always does adapt, but yeah, the, the opportunity to be involved in, in planning something like that. Um, and then seeing it through to actually getting the opportunity to 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 be in the building and getting to to work in there, it's been uh, yeah, it's been been really good. Yeah, because I suppose the the thing with not having someone around all the time that is that is taking charge of that planning process is like you said, those three hundred things that crop up end up being an email, don't they, or a number yeah. of different emails. Whereas it can be a two minute conversation. Um, yeah. And I suppose there's a lesson to be learned in that, isn't there? Not just in planning something like a training ground but just in the uh, in any role full stop that, that these the, the communication between any staff members is crucial isn't it to to make yeah. it effective like that yeah 100 i think we, we, we were quite lucky as well that sam funnily enough i think his, his undergrad degree was actually in sports science oh, so he had a, he had a little bit of an understanding of where we were coming from so like he sort of knew what questions to come and ask us? He knew what was gonna, what what sort of things would, um, yeah, would affect like my role and the way that we work. Whereas if it was with someone who was planning it, who maybe works for a building company, they might not have understood the similar sort of things and might have thought, oh, that doesn't really matter. Yeah, and then that ultimately over time becomes a bigger issue. So. Yeah, it was uh, it, it was a, it was a good a good situation the way that um, that sort of panned out for us to be honest. Just a very quick update on our online community. I mentioned at the start briefly of this podcast that the presentations from our event at Rotherham United are now available on the online community, so you can go and check those out. We had a presentation by first team sports scientist at Rotherham, Tom Scupion. He presented on no shame in simplicity. Then we also had a presentation from performance manager at Rotherham, Ross Burberry. Ross presented on self-efficacy of running and how we prepare players to play. So Ross went into detail on how they program um, the players at Rotherham. And I know speaking to, I said this in the the evening, but I know speaking to a lot of people that have watched Rotherham this, this year, 
And towards the back end of last year as well, they always comment out how physically fit they are, how robust they are, how physically dominant they are in many games. So it was great to get an insight into um, how that has been developed um, and how that has also been developed over a number of years as well, which Ross went into detail with in this presentation. So you can go and check those out. Go to footballfitfed.com, click the community tab. If you are a member, you can log in there and that'll take you into the community website and just go on to network meeting presentations and both of the presentations are there. If you're not already a member, if you sign up there, that will give you one month free on the community. After that free month, it is only £4.99 per month going forward and you'll get access to these presentations there's loads of presentations on there as well from previous events and webinars as well and you'll also get access to the presentations from our Preston event and also as I mentioned at the start of the episode um, our South Wales event as well so go and check it out footballfitfed.com click the community tab sign up there and get yourself a free month here's part two of the podcast with Patrick Holm and I know we can sort of delve into some of the changes that that you made since like using the facility, which is always going to be the case, isn't it? Like you can set out yeah. plans, but plans have to change. But what were, and you can maybe tie this in with, with the same sort of thing, but in terms of the actual planning of the gym in particular, what were some key considerations or key things that you wanted in place? It might be putting certain things in certain places because you can visualize how a session is going to run and how groups are going to move around or individuals move around. And then also taking that into maybe some of the, changes that you made since when the players have actually got in there and started working yeah i mean we, we um initially the, the gym that we had on the old site it was it was okay it was like you know i'm sure that there's, there's clubs that have to deal with a lot worse than, than what we had but one of the things that we wanted was more space yeah so we wanted like a, a bigger area because what we were finding like on a day where we wanted to get the full squad in Maybe on like a on a minus three or a minus four to get them in for 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 a session altogether. The area wasn't really big enough, so we wanted a little bit more room so that we could get the group in all at once and be able to to still sort of have yeah breathing space effectively. Mm. So um, yeah, that that was one of the big things, sort of like having space in between the racks, making sure we had enough racks. Um, yeah, and then really just having enough enough equipment to, to be able to for players to be doing the same exercise at the same time rather than everyone waiting for one one bit of kit. Um, then we had sort of like a, a, an area on the, the other side of the gym that was um, where we had all the bikes. And in front of that, we've got a big screen that drops down. So while the lads, especially you know in the championship, you spend a lot of time with lads on recovery days in between games, we were trying to foresee that we'd use that opportunity where they might be doing like a spin on the bike um but at the same time they could have the the clips on the screen from the game that the analysts put together so that you can utilize that time um for more than just one thing and it sort of takes away from you know if you think that um i think we we play you know, we obviously got a midweek game this week. Uh, we had a midweek game last week. You know, those short turnarounds, like they rack up quite a lot and you play a lot of midweek games over the course of the season. You know, the amount of times you've got lads that are doing a, a bike-based recovery session. If you're just asking them to spin on the bike for 20 minutes every other day, yeah. they're going to get to a point where they're just they're so bored of it that they don't want to do it anymore. 
Whereas if you can find like sort of ways to to like sort of stimulate the mind a little bit while that's happening, you know, you've got you've got an opportunity to keep them a little bit more bought into the process. Um, but yeah, I think we sort of we, we we've in terms of the the space in the gym, I think we actually got to a point where we probably overfilled it a little bit. So yeah. we we got a bit carried away and bought maybe too much equipment, too many things that we maybe didn't need. So yeah, some of the transition so far has just been to try and create that space again. So you've got like areas to actually work in and not worry too much about having every little bit of kit under the sun that you, know, you probably could get away with not not really needing. So that's that's probably been the biggest change in the gym. Um, and then in terms of other changes, really, I think the big one for us has been that we we sort of made the decision uh, during preseason that we wanted to um, change how we approach. Um, home games so instead of lads arriving to the st- what we used to do is lads would drive to the stadium we'd have pre-match at the stadium and then they'd sort of hang around in the stadium for a bit before they go down to the changing rooms and then the normal sort of game process would, would start from there we decided well why don't we come up to the training ground have pre-match at the training ground and then use that space that we've now got up there as an area for them to sort of either chill out and relax or you know, we've got a pool table. We've got like little like games and stuff like that that they can they can uh, use to sort of fill the time, so that they're not worrying about the game. So they've yeah. got a little bit of time to like sort of decompress, if you like, and be relaxed before they get to that point where we say, right now, now is the time where we we have a meeting before we leave to go down to the stadium, and it's like right now we're into game mode. But in that time earlier, they're not worrying and like you know getting nervous energy and starting to to get uptight about the game too early. Um, so, yeah, we, we sort of changed a few things around at the training ground to be able to accommodate for that. So we've got like a little area now where, you know, the lads have got their own little space to be able to go and relax and have a chat and watch the TV, whatever it might be. So, yeah, we changed a few bits around for that, really. That's probably been the, the biggest thing that we've changed so far. No, that's interesting because when we were chatting on the phone, I actually, when we were talking through this sort of stuff, I actually realised that we've never really touched on anything around like match day so yeah. I think it's really interesting going into that because when you get into that period and you used the phrase I think when we were on the phone I can't quite remember what it was and see if you can remember but around basically that's the time you're making or breaking isn't it that's the time yeah. that it's crunch time because it's time to perform all your work essentially behind the scenes has been done but if the players are in the wrong state physically or wrong state of mind at that point obviously that's going to transfer to the game so I thought it'd be good to just dive into um, just extend that onto your role or your responsibilities when uh, we get to the stadium and when the match starts, essentially, because like we, we've talked a lot and I know a majority of work is done before that point, isn't it? But I think this is also a crucial time. Obviously, this is when performance and results come, isn't it? Yeah, I mean... <laughs> I think um, I can remember what we were talking about. I can't remember what I said. I think it was basically something along the lines of like that that time is probably the the period that has the biggest impact on the performance because the longer before away from the game, you've got that opportunity. If you make a mistake on a on you know four days away from the game, you can you can maybe take a day off the next day and reset and give the lads time to recover. You make a mistake like the morning of a game, there's not long for you to be able to rectify like, the issue. Um, so yeah I think game day for me it's like 
I'll be completely honest, don't do a great deal, especially yeah. before the game. But it is, it is a really important time in terms of, um, yeah, those last little bits to make sure that the, the players feel like they're fully ready to go. Um, you know, the, the big thing for me when we arrive at games is probably preparing the changing room so that everything's in there that the lads need. So, like, mainly from a nutrition perspective, um, you know, we're quite lucky that we've got quite a big group of staff. So, um, the... The, the like the soft tissue therapists bring a lot of the the sort of stuff like foam rollers and bands that the lads use for their own like little pre warm up stuff, um, and then the yeah, I focus more on making sure that the right sort of nutrition bits are in the changing room for those like last little uh, last little bits before we start the warm up. Um, but yeah, then from there it's pretty much getting the lads out doing the warm up first part of it, um, trying to make that as sort of lively as possible. Really, um, I think. It's something that I've sort of thought about a fair bit where, like, I'm probably quite nosy. We, we tend to go out quite early in comparison to other teams. So usually by the time I've finished doing my bit, the other team usually comes out around about then. Mm. So I'm always a little bit nosy and watching what other people do. And it, and it intrigues me that sometimes you see, see things that I sort of think, mm, I'd probably do that earlier in the week. Yeah, and on the game day, it, for me, it's just a case of get them warm, get them ready, and let them go. Like I don't think it's not the time to be worrying too much about like sort of correcting movements and things like that. Like mm. ultimately, if if it's not right by now, it isn't going to be right in the next ten minutes before they start the game. So yeah, I think uh, I try and keep that as sort of simple as possible. Really, and just get them sort of fired up and ready to go and then let them go and do the bit they need to do with the coaches before the game starts. Um, in terms of during the game, it's just a case of being around. Um, it sounds a little bit of like a bit part, and I suppose it is really. Like when, the, when the whistle goes, it becomes about the players, really. They're the, ones that are, they're the ones that are performing and we're effectively just watching the game and making sure that if if they need anything, you sort of, you've got everything ready to go, whether that's like, you know, you know, hopefully you get to a point where you don't need to be throwing gels on um, into games, but, you know, that we've got that sort of support if players need it. And then I think from there, it's probably the post-match stuff where it becomes the busiest part of the day. So as soon as the game finishes, um, you know, that, that sort of window, as soon as the lads who've played the game come off, you've got that like window of opportunity to make sure that we're getting the right nutrition into them to start that recovery process off. So, you know, as soon as the manager finishes talking, I'm trying to get around the changing room and trying to give the lads what the you know what what we can to make sure we sort of kickstart that that recovery process. Um, and I'm usually trying to do that pretty quickly because as soon as I've done that, and then taking the the subs back out to go and do their um, the post match work with them to make sure that they're uh, they keep topped up and ready to go. So that's usually like we'll, we'll take the ones who play less than 45 minutes usually we'll take them back out um and it'll depend a little bit on what the training week looks like when we're training next when the next game is where that player's up to in terms of has he done a lot of something and not a lot of something else or or vice versa but yeah usually a combination of some sort of like longer strides some sort of short change of direction type stuff and then maybe a bit of exposure to max speed depending on when they when they last got an exposure to that um, and then once we've done that back inside again and that's when we start the um, little bit of strength work to try and keep uh, a bit of a stimulus into them with that as well um, 
and yeah, that's uh, that's pretty much it on a match day. Yeah, well, I, mean, I know you said before that you your role is sort of minimal on a match day, but I think a lot of it comes mm. down to um, protecting the players' energy, doesn't it? And making mm. sure that sort of psychologically and physically that they're ready. And whether that is preparing, like physically preparing gels or drinks or whatever it is within the change room environment, or whether it is any interaction that you're having with the player, because obviously you're going to speak to players at that point and that, that interaction needs to be positive towards the performance, doesn't it? Or yeah. is it a case of taking their mind, I suppose this comes down to the individual, is it a case of taking their mind away from it and just trying to yeah. speak about other things, with, I suppose, with certain people? Well, that's when it comes down to knowing your players, I suppose, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, I think the the, the changing rooms are a really interesting environment. And I think um, a lot of people think they want to be in there and think they want to be part of it because it feels like that's the area where it's happening. It's like it's seen as this like behind the scenes, you know, you're really in the thick of it if you're in the changing room. And don't get me wrong, like like after, after you've won a game, you know, you get three points on a Saturday and you're in there at five o'clock. It's brilliant. It is, it's a really... Um, really sort of unique experience but on the flip side of that it, it can also be a, a really horrible place to be um and you know you sort of you take the rough with the smooth and I think one of the important things when it comes to being around the change room on a match day is probably reading reading the um reading the situation and reading the room and sort of understanding when's the right time to be in there and being proactive and trying to help the lads like refuel a little bit at half time or whatever it might be. And then when's the time to take a step back and just keep yourself out of the way because something else is the priority at that moment in time. So I think that that's the that's the big thing for me. Um when when you're sort of around match day is sort of having that understanding of um yeah sort of knowing your place and knowing when it's time to be on the front foot and when it's time to be in the background. Yeah, I suppose that's going to change all the time, isn't it? And that's when we, yeah. we spoke about being able to adapt before. Like this is the ultimate sort of time that you have to use that skill, isn't it? Because that is going to change probably every single game throughout the season in terms of, yes, you've not got the most roles to do on a match day, but the, the, there's times where you do need to act and times that you don't and you need to know, yeah. you need to learn quickly when those are. Yeah. Yeah, definitely, definitely. It's um, it's a fine line for sure. It's definitely yeah. a fine line between the two. Yeah. Yeah. Well, is it? And then the other thing is, we've got to remember that we're there to support the the coaches and the players, aren't we? So it's it's having that in mind all the time, and it does it means that you don't have to be front and center all the time. There could be jobs that you do that probably don't get noticed, but do go to a, a long way to helping performance on the field, whether it's individuals or whether it's a team. Yeah, I think that, that that's one for me that like you know that some of the stuff that you do, it's not the most glamorous, and it and it's definitely not not maybe appreciated as much as you'd like it to be. But one thing's for sure, if you get it wrong or you forget to do it or it's missing, then it will become it'll become noticed straight away. And yeah. I suppose it's like it's it's like a thankless task if you like. But you know what? One thing that I've sort of always tried to like to maintain and sort of I suppose pride myself on through through my career so far is trying to make sure that you don't miss don't miss those things so there's like always a consistency of if something's there and there's a job that's being done once on one game it's the same for every single game yeah. a lot a lot of play a lot of players do like having consistency around them mm. they can't cope with 
um, something changing on a match day. Like, and it can be something as simple as like the, the, the socks that they wear or something like that yeah, can be yeah, different. Yeah. And that, that can completely set them off onto a, a downward spiral mentally where they're not prepared to play the game all the way through to you forget that you forget to bring water with you. Like, you know, you forget the water, like you've got, you've got a bit of a problem. So, yeah. um, you know, yeah, I think um, yeah, it's an interesting environment for sure. Yeah, and that's what I mean by protecting their energy, like, because it can go positive and negatively, can't it? And it, and it sums it up with where you, you guys are right now, obviously staying in hotels. Hotels are going to change all the time. You're going to be in different places, um, playing away from home, and then it's just maintaining as much consistency. And again, taking back that control as much as you can, isn't it? Whether yeah. you're in Reading, whether you're in, like, wherever it is, like, it doesn't, it, it well, it does, does matter, but it's your job and the staff's job then to, try and keep it as consistent as possible to put the players in the right headspace, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's one thing that, I mean, we're, we're quite, I think I've said this a few times, like we're quite lucky. I, I do feel like the way that we're set up, we, we are fortunate, like both me individually, like the support I get for my role from, from other members of staff around me, but the support that the players get, like, you know, the amount of stuff that sort of, that's done behind the scenes to make sure that consistency is maintained. Um, you know, our, our, our kit man, Scotty, like the, the, the amount of stuff that he takes on the back of his van and un- unloads on his own so that everything's in the changing room ready to go. It's like, it's unbelievable. I mean, we when we, we went to Middlesbrough last week and the amount of stuff we took with us, it, it looked like we were staying up there for a couple of weeks <laughs> and it was literally for one game. So, yeah, the, the work that like people like him put in behind the scenes to make sure we maintain that consistency is, uh, yeah, it's re- really up there. Like, Yeah, class. Now, I think it's interesting touching on that because it's something that we haven't touched on on the podcast before and I know there's a lot of other work that goes on throughout the week, but it's also a crucial time and it's essentially the time where Points are picked up or lost, isn't it? So it's crunch time. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I thought it'd be good as well just to go into, you mentioned a bit, a little bit about post-match before, about getting the strength working, but also the analysis. Um, so how you guys are approaching that. And I know you've got a, a few different ways you're going about that with the players um, after the game from, from game um, analysis. Yeah, I mean, again, I'm, I'm going to use my favourite word again. We're quite lucky that we uh, <laughs> we get to use um, we, we we use TrackUp. Um, so our, our lads don't wear GPS in games. We uh, we get our physical data from the camera based system that they provide. Um, so yeah, I mean, we, we get that data live. Um, so I can get that on on an iPad as the game's going on. It's not something that we tend to use that often, just because. I think, like we were saying before, about knowing when's the right time to to sort of be at the forefront and when's the right time to be in the background when you're in the changing room. I think it's the same sort of thing in general on a match day. Um, and personally for me, I think once the game is happening, it's down to the manager whether he wants to make a decision or not. And if he wants to ask my opinion, then obviously I'm there to provide that. But... I don't think with the amount of things that will be going on in his head at that moment in time, it's not for me to go and sort of push things on him. Ultimately, it comes down to his decision-making. So we do have that data live, but we don't really use it that often. What we we tend to use it more for is the next morning we'll get, um, we'll sort of get a couple of raw data files through from, from track up. And uh, yeah, 
just the process of putting that into into different reports to be able to show the players. So we sort of show them um, what they've done, just at a very sort of basic level, what they've done um, in the game from the sort of general perspective of like total distance, metres per minute, um, the the higher speed running brackets. Um, and then we show that in comparison to what they normally do in a 90-minute game. And then we split it up into like 15-minute splits. Um, we show us versus the opposition and we show uh, us in possession to us out of possession. So yeah, it's, it's putting together that sort of like report package, if you like, that we show to the players, show it to the manager, show it to the coaches. Um, and yeah, trying to get an understanding from that data of where we might be in comparison to where we'd normally be following a game. So especially when we've got these sort of like quick turnarounds um, into, into another game coming around quick and fast sort of thing. Um, getting an idea of whether we think there's any individuals within the squad who might need a little bit extra in terms of some recovery modalities, whether it, you know, it could be some, something as simple as um, a little bit of extra work with the, with the soft tissue therapists or a little bit longer rest off the feet, um, a little bit less in training all the way through to, to altering the, um, the nutrition that they're getting into the body to, to try and help that process speed up as much as possible because sometimes we just we haven't got the the time to be able to let it like flow through it, the body's like natural rate of recovery yeah um but yeah I think it's interesting at the moment it's something that I know it's getting quite a lot of um it's getting quite a lot of attention in terms of like social media with like the context around like sort of match data. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's something that I am looking at a little bit because, you know, I'm fully aware of the fact that, you know, distances on their own don't necessarily paint the whole picture. Um, and yeah, we're sort of trying to look at now, um, one of the things we do get from track is we get like a raw data file that gives you sort of coordinates of, of, of each, um, each data point for each player during the game and trying to find ways of using that raw data to, to give more of a picture of what the players have actually done in the game. Um, so, yeah, a little bit of a work in progress at the moment. But, yeah, that's sort of where we're, where we're at with that side of things at the moment. And is that the sort of thing that you, you know, you, know, you mentioned before about um, in the new facility on the bikes with the screen? Is that the sort of time that you'd present that back to players in, in that recovery session? Yeah, so we, we, try, and, we try and send it to them. Um, through generally through like WhatsApp. Um with one of the things we've pushed quite a lot this year is trying to trying to sort of give them more access to the data mm. and get them to understand a little bit more um what they're doing it, what they're doing and why they're doing it. Um, and it's worked really well in pre-season uh, because I think showing them um the the sort of like the, the the physical outcomes if you like from the training that we were doing made them sort of understand why we were asking them to do it because Obviously, it is hard. It's very, very tough for them. But then when they can sit down and go, all right, yeah, I understand now why we had to do that session. Yeah. It, it, I think it allows them then, then to be more sort of bought into that process. And it's something that we're trying to, trying to sort of carry through now into the season. So, yeah, we, try, we try, and, um, try and give them that data as early as possible following the game. Um, and then, yeah, we'll, we'll generally, we'll, we've, we've got one of the things we've got on the training ground, we've got a lot of screens. So there's there's like there's TV screens everywhere, um, and we try and utilise them as much as possible to put that type of information on there. So 
always the first time we're in after a game, we'll always drop the big screen down the gym and put put some some data from the game on there. And more than anything, it's just to try and start conversations with them. Yeah. So it might not it might not be that that data is like the be all and end all, but it does start a conversation where a player might come over and say, "How come, how come my numbers are so much higher? I don't feel like I don't feel tired. I don't feel like mm. I did anything." And then you, you can start a conversation with them around, you know, well, yeah, your high speed running's higher because do you remember what the game was like for the ten minutes that you played? Yeah, it was like end to end, and you know, you, you're literally up and down, but because you've only played ten minutes, but yeah, you're not you're not going to feel particularly tired, but. And it just, I think it, it gets them a little bit more bought into the process of, of understanding sort of why we're there and what we're trying to help them with, which so far has been has been re- really positive for us. Yeah, I suppose that's then when you apply that or give uh, information on the context, isn't it? So when you're talking about yeah. make, making everything contextual, like you, you're giving the data to, and again, it comes down to communication, but then you're able to add that extra bit of information and players will answer their own questions at that point as well, won't they? Like if you just guide them on the, in a time like that, they'll, they'll understand that if they reflect on the game and what it was like, they'll probably be able to answer everything that they're going to ask anyway. Yeah. I think like we, we've got, we've got a really good group and I know like most people probably say that now, like I think players are becoming more sort of more aware of What's got what like what's going on? What's going into training? Um, because I think it's probably yeah, it's not enough anymore to just turn up and unless you're unbelievably talented, like it's not enough for you to just turn up and just sort of do your thing and go on. You do have to buy into the fact that you know the, the the speed of the game and the demands of each like you know if you think about the demands of each phys- individual game from a physical perspective, before you even think about adding that up over a 38 or 46 game season you know the the, the sort of the, the demand on the body is so big now that players have to sort of buy into this idea that you're going to have to do some sort of work to try and keep yourself on the pitch as much as possible yeah. it's, it's unlikely that you're going to be able to just rock up and play every single game obviously you're going to have a few kind of are genetically blessed to be able to do that but a lot of lads are going to have to work quite hard to, to be able to maintain the bodies to a point that they can stay in and operate at that intensity over the course of the season. And I think that generally speaking, from my experience with our group, they've bought into that quite well mm. and are sort of understanding the benefits that they're getting from that, which is great because ultimately then, you know, they get the most out of it and it makes our job a lot easier. Yeah, brilliant. We'll move things on, mate, because uh, um, I want to get on to some of the quick-fire questions that we finished the podcast with. Um, yeah. So first one being, who are some of the biggest influences on your career so far? Um, I think biggest one so far is probably Barry Drust. Um, quite an easy one, really, to drop in because he was my uh, director of studies for my PhD. So I've sort of I've known Baz for probably about eight years now, something like that. Um, and yeah, I mean, the 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 help that he gave me during that time of getting through the process of of um, completing a PhD was was unbelievable. I mean, you know, I speak to so many people who've done PhDs, and they they get they get so frustrated with the with the super advisory team because you know they email them and they get an email back two weeks later mm. 
And then, you know, I, I, I class myself as really fortunate to have been able to have him where, like, he, you know, like Sunday nights at half 10, we'd be sat around talking about what a chapter looks like or something like that. <laughs> he, he, he was, he's, he's unbelievably committed. Um, and anyone who gets him to be their supervisor is is really really fortunate. So yeah, he's 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 had a massive effect. And then I think beyond that, I've I've been quite lucky. I've I've worked with quite a few really good practitioners. To be honest, one one big one, um, Jordan Milson, who's up at Rangers now. Um, I think for me, he he just seems to work, like, he thinks in a different way. So he he sort of he's always trying to think about what the next thing is, and I think. You know, even this morning on, on the way over here, I was talking to someone about our like sort of rehab sessions and stuff like that. And the way that for me personally to see how he used to go about planning like end stage rehab, like the detail that he used to go to um, and the things that he used to think about. He, yeah, he was he was top class and he really made sort of challenge me to, to yeah, be the best that you can. Um, and then other than that, the, the other two would probably be uh, Liam Anderson, who's been on, been on with you. I think he was on a few a few months ago, wasn't he? Yeah. Um, me and Liam obviously went through similar sort of process from John Moore's all the way through to Liverpool together. Um, and then another lad called Del Bonsu, who's our head of S and C at Bristol City. Mm. Um, I think with those two, really, they've had a massive influence on my career, but probably more because first and foremost, I, I classed them as really good friends. And I think having someone that you sort of work with and work alongside or you're able to bounce things off and have conversations about when things are going well and when things aren't going well, it's been a really important thing for me because it is hard at times. Like, you know, it can be quite a relentless industry. So having someone that close alongside you to be able to sort of get you through things is has been like, yeah, it's been it's been a massive influence on me. Brilliant. Liverpool well represented there amongst them as well, aren't they? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, uh, next one. What would you say your biggest strength is as a practitioner? Um, I'm not one for uh, blowing me on trumpet, to be honest. But, what, would the, uh, what would the board do you think the players would say? Oh, maybe we shouldn't ask that. <laughs> yeah. I, that, one thing for sure is I would not ask them. Um <laughs> probably uh, pitch-based stuff so uh, yeah a lot a lot of my work's done on the pitch really um, yeah I, I've always sort of probably going back again to the days of being at Liverpool um, working with Ryder Morgans he, he was really really good on the pitch like the, the way he used to deliver to the players it was something that I was looked up to and thought that was the way that I wanted to be able to interact with them and I think it's sort of it's the the epitome of being applied for me was yeah. that sort of that 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 bit where you're out and you're delivering on the pitch. So uh, yeah, I think it'd probably be that. I think it allows you to integrate better with the with the coaches as well. So and the other staff there at the club, I think that that um, being involved in that sort of process around training and yeah, when you're outside on the grass is definitely the, uh, the the best place for me. I think yeah. Class. And then last one, I always ask this one just because I think it's nice to direct coaches onto where you focused your sort of energy at the moment in terms of CPD. So not necessarily just in terms of courses, but just in terms of anything that you've 
maybe read articles, listened to podcasts, it might be on certain websites. Is there anything that you've sort of seen, done recently that you feel has maybe questioned your practice or or added to what you're doing? Um, I knew you were going to ask me this one. And uh, <laughs> when I thought about it, I thought I've probably not done as much as I should have done. It made me think that, yeah, that you, you sort of get tied down into... Um, in, into the day-to-day of work and you probably don't do as much or I don't do as much as I should do really but um, I think what one of the, um, the the things that I've probably done most is listening to the podcast so just picking up on just from flicking through Twitter really like obviously when when like you put out the tweets and that of people that you see and think oh, I'll be interested to hear what, what he's got to say um, so yeah like listening to podcasts probably one of the the more direct ones that I do really. But then I think, and it probably ties in a little bit with something that we, when we are speaking about, obviously you guys getting the, um, the in-person meetings up and running again. I think for me, one of the big things um, has been, so Dave Rennie started with us, um, sort, of, well, sort of like start of pre-season really, like in the off season, is probably when he first come in. And just, just sort of being around someone who's had that much experience and being able to just sort of chat to them day to day, I think in a weird sort of way, that's like being like my CPD really, where like you can sort of bounce your ideas off someone who, you know, he's, he's seen quite a lot and you can then get a, get an idea of, all right, I might not know 100% whether this is going to work or not, but he might have seen it before and he might be able to give you a little bit of advice and ultimately, that is what makes you develop. So I think for me, it would definitely be getting that opportunity to go out and sort of speak to people again. That's not, I know we're doing it now through through a Zoom call, but, you know, you, I don't think you can replace that sort of like in-person interaction of just speaking to someone else who's maybe been through what you've been through yeah. or what you're going through and speaking to them. It's something that I've, I've tried to like at games when, when we've been playing games so far this preseason just been trying to like talk to people at, at opposition clubs and stuff like that and just see how things have been going with them and mm. maybe they've done something a little bit different to us, um, which it sounds like a bit of a weird CPD, but for me, I think it's been really, um, really important and I've probably learned quite a lot from it. I think that's the one where people take the most from though. Like you say, mm. uh, it doesn't have to be a course or anything like that. I think loads of people have mentioned conversations or certain people that they've been sort of picking their brains from. And you know that when you have those conversations, you'll take absolutely loads from it. And I spoke to a few people recently where they've said like people at that same club, you don't even have to, sometimes you don't even have to go out of your own training ground to be able to have conversations with people where you're going to take loads from. So I don't when I yeah. when I ask that I don't always mean specific like courses and things I think um, the conversations you can have with people like I fully agree I think it's so beneficial um, yeah. and the more more of those types of conversations the the better really isn't it Yeah I mean for me I think like when you go on a course generally speaking they're trying to tell you the way to do something mm. I know it's quite a generalization but it's like this is the way to do something. Whereas when you speak to a person through experience, usually experience is based off when they've got it wrong yeah, and understanding yeah. the mistakes. And the reality is, is that we're all making mistakes. No one's got no one's got the perfect answer. Obviously, we had a really tough season last year and we probably made quite a lot of mistakes. Whereas 
you know, we had the season before where we didn't, we had a really good year and we probably still made mistakes, but we just didn't actually, they didn't come to light. We didn't realise what they were when they were happening. So I think yeah, it's always really interesting to speak to other people and see from their experience what, what, what you can sort of avoid more than anything else to try and limit the amount of mistakes, the amount of mistakes you make. And then I think in the long run, you'd, you'd probably improve your own performance and the performance of your team just by limiting the mistakes rather than actually having to make anything better in, in a weird sort of way. Yeah, no, I agree. I fully agree. Mate, that was brilliant. Really, really good. I think we've got through loads there. Um, I think it was interesting to cover the match day stuff because it's something that we not spoke about too much before, but then the facility as well. Um, again, I'm sure many people will be sitting back being jealous about a new facility, but um, yeah. it's interesting, isn't it, that all these plans go into these facilities and it comes back to you just wanting the room and the space to work with the players. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. I just, if anyone wants to reach out to you, is the best place, uh, well, where is the best place? Is it social media? Where would you direct them? Yeah, probably on Twitter. Um, I try and that's just your name, stay. isn't it? With no no dots. Right yeah, 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 yeah. Just that Patrick Holm. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. I try try to stay on top of Twitter. Really, um, I think um, yeah, it's quite a powerful tool for obviously communicating with other people. So yeah, probably through there. To be honest. Perfect, mate. Well, I really appreciate you coming on, and you can go and get a bit of rest now before uh, the game tonight. And best of luck in it, and for the rest of the season. And uh, yeah, cheers, yeah cheers for coming on. We'll stay in touch. Yeah, thanks a lot for having me on, mate. Really appreciate it. Thank you for listening to episode 151 and big thanks to Patrick as well for giving up his time. I know he was away uh, on an away trip at Reading as we recorded this episode, so I appreciate him giving up his time, um, valuable sleep time I took away from him there, so I appreciate him coming on. Go and check him out on Twitter at Patrick Orme, and Orme is spelled O-R-M-E or just his name on Twitter. Obviously, keep an eye on uh, what Patrick's up to because he is going to be presenting on our event down at South Wales as well. So I'm delighted to have Patrick as part of the event. In terms of takeaways from this one, I think it was really interesting this because we covered a couple of areas that we not spoke about too much before. Planning a new facility, and I can sort of feel the the jealousy from a lot of practitioners where um, you might be working in, in testing environments, maybe, should we put it that way, and... Planning a new facility could just be a dream away, but I think it was really interesting talking around some of the plans that went into it, but also, again, the importance of communication with other members of staff, but also the fact that you have to be adaptable, not just in terms of day-to-day in your roles, but when you are planning a facility and even when the facility opens, you have to be adaptable and be willing to change. And that's what Patrick spoke about in the episode. Um, he spoke about doing three different pre-seasons, different managers, different approaches. Um, he spoke about the trip away to the, the States as well and all the benefits of going to an amazing facility. But then as well, having the trip here to Loughborough this year, um, obviously seeing the amazing facilities at Loughborough, but taking away all the travel time um possibly jet lag and all, all the sort of logistics that go into traveling over to the States, taking all that away and the benefits of that as well. Um, He also talked about the match day and his role on a match day, which I thought when we were talking about topics to come up with for the podcast, we we sort of stumbled across this one and I thought it'd be interesting to cover because 
a lot of people, a lot of practitioners on a match day are going to do similar things, but I just thought, thought it was interesting to delve into like how, I think he, he mentioned a few times in the podcast that you can, you can be as much of a hindrance on a match day. And if, if you don't get things right and things aren't set out for the players, you can, you can sort of cause that bit of negativity and maybe a bit of doubt in the players' minds. So it is really important, even though you're probably doing the same jobs week in, week out, it's very important to make sure you're doing them. And it's also, you're going to interact with the players. Um, obviously, we're not, you're not going to be doing too much physical work on a match day apart from the warm-up. But, and then, and then everything that comes after the game as well. Um, but I just think it was really important just to see, just to delve into his experiences on how he managed the match day and, and where he thought his responsibilities lie. And he also spoke about reading the room on a match day as well. So whether that's recent form, whether that's how the game's going, whether that's how the players are feeling, that's a skill in itself and, and sort of acting upon that as well. So... It was interesting talking around that. I hope you found it interesting too. I think we've covered a, got a couple of different topics there that we've not spoke about too much before. So let me know what you think. And like I said, I'm delighted to have Patrick as part um, of the event down in South Wales. Really exciting to get that one planned and going. 22nd of September, 6 till 9pm at University of South Wales Sports Park. It's going to be great to get down there. So go and get yourself a ticket. Go to footballfitfed.com, click the shop tab and you'll be able to get yourself, depending on when you're listening, early bird tickets may still be available. Go and grab yourself a ticket. Come and join us for an evening of networking and listening to some superb presenters um, on the evening as well. So big thank you as always for listening to the podcast. I've had some great feedback recently as well, some private messages. Um, really appreciate the support and the messages that you guys send over. So keep supporting the podcast, and I'll speak to you again next week in episode 152.